The Story of Gambatar Episode 5 The Studies of Gambatar Of course, Gambatar did everything he could to solve the clerical error that meant he was registered to study deep-sea navigation while his four fellow Mongolians were assigned the fish farming course they'd travelled across an entire continent to study at their president's behest. It quickly became clear that a small hour's slip of the pen wasn't so easy to overturn, at least for a poor man, from a remote province of a distant country with no political connections, favours to dispense, or money. He tried everything he could. Patient explanation, head-slapping protest, man-to-man appeals to common sense, tearful pleas for compassion. All were met with unsmiling shakes of the head. The implacable face of communist bureaucracy was utterly unrelenting. Look at the paperwork, they said, pointing to the minister's writing on his application form. The four digits were slanting and stained with something spilt, but unmistakably read 1012. They'd hold up the university prospectus and point to course 1012, deep sea navigation. Gambatar may as well have tried convincing a yak to ride a donkey. His fellow students tried to intervene, but their connections didn't hold much sway the other side of Eurasia. He tried official channels too, of course. As soon as his initial attempts to join his four colleagues on the fish farming course had failed, he wrote a comprehensive explanation of his dilemma, addressed it to his boss, the Minister of Agriculture, and hand-delivered it to the impotent Mongolian plenipotentiary in Moscow. His formal appeal set in motion the administrative machinery of the time. Handwritten letters a long chain of command, the physical transport of documents over an entire continent, all lubricated, or rather impeded, by the bureaucratic sludge that seemed to be the glue that was the only thing keeping the world's first and second communist states, the Soviet Union and Mongolia, from falling apart. When it became clear nothing was going to happen quickly, the authorities told Gumbathar he had to start studying or they'd revoke his student visa. So, while his four dilettante colleagues from the Ministry of Agriculture partied away, skipping the courses on aquaculture that Professor Dalai had identified as their nation's salvation, Gambatar began his five-year course in deep-sea navigation. He learned things for which Mongolian words didn't even exist. The law of the sea, naval architecture, ship safety and maintenance, sonar, maritime cartography, tide charts, fishing quotas... After a year, an official letter arrived bearing the seal of Mongolia's Ministry of Agriculture. It was from the minister. It was very short. It said there had been no error, that he'd been assigned this course for a special reason, and that it was not for him to question how he should serve his country. So, Kambatar continued his deep dive into deep-sea navigation. He had no idea what this secret plan for him could be or why he, of all people, had been selected for such a sensitive mission. He had some doubts about the explanation, but there was clearly no point in swimming against the tide. Swimming, in fact, was one of the many new skills he was acquiring during his first year of study. Remembering the sailor on the lake who was rumoured to be blessed with this superpower, he daydreamed that one day they would both swim in the lake. He'd smile at the image of the entire town gathered by the lake to witness 
Mongolia's only two swimmers performing this mythical act, he imagined the glory. His farewell party before he left for his job at the ministry would be nothing in comparison. Children present would pass on that story to their grandchildren. Truth be told, Gambatar was now having a ball. He felt like a horse untethered from a heavy cart after a long journey. The burden of bureaucratic responsibility lifted, Gambatar threw himself into his studies and the strange new world that had opened for him. His classmates from Angola, Mexico, Trinidad, Latvia, Nicaragua would tease him, asking him how useful maritime charts and sonar would be when he returned home. Gambatar would just smile, make a joke about being happy to navigate from the top of a camel, and return to his studies. He was now spending time on actual ships, riding real waves on proper seas. North Sea salt encrusted his eyebrows, as they once were with snow and ice back home. He got his sea legs, instinctively balancing against the pitch and roll of the deck, as he'd once learned to adapt to the gait of an unfamiliar horse. In the evenings, drinking rum instead of airag, his fellow students would teach him sea shanties, and he'd respond with the songs he grew up with, about horses and grassland and Chinggis Khan. On the rare occasions he opened his briefcase and saw the preserved paw, he could barely believe he was the same person who'd shot a wolf in the mountains of northern Mongolia, about as far from the sea as it's possible to be. He may not have been fulfilling Professor Dallai's dream of learning a new way to feed his people, but Gambatad was following his steps, across Mongolia's landlocked borders, roaming and exploring the world beyond. And so it was that Gambata, the boy from the lake, who'd spent his childhood transfixed by the only boat in Mongolia, became his country's only qualified deep-sea navigator. In episode 6, Back Home, we find out what happened to Gambatar when he returned to the ministry with his unique qualification. The series was written, narrated and produced by Sternwriter. Audio production by Samuel Wynn. The Truth Lies in Bedtime Stories is a see-through news production. See-through news is a not-for-profit social media network with the goal of speeding up carbon drawdown by helping the inactive become active. For more, visit seethroughnews.org. Thank you for listening.